0: Calling all ninjas! Calling all ninjas! It's time for Lime Ninja Radio.
1: Today, Lime Ninja Radio.
2: So that was the three-year-old. So I knew the three-year-old needed to be treated as well. But who does an enema on a three-year-old? Well, it turns out I did. Um, I ended up doing it after you know. Again, no one supported me. No, one, everyone's like, "You're crazy. You're going to rupture her bowel and all these things." Anyway. Um, it went, it went um, fantastically. I was so glad I did the enema. On the first enema, the little child, the three-year-old, put out a baseball-sized tapeworm, and in fact, she, she even vocalized to me, she, and she just turned four years old at this point, just turned four, and she said, Mama, we need to do more enemas.
1: This podcast is sponsored by the Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. I'm so excited to tell you about our new Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. One of the things I hear over and over again, whether it's talking to a patient in my office or consulting over the phone with a client, is just how difficult it is to keep track of progress on their Lyme journey. Recording symptoms daily or even weekly gives them too many data points. There are so many ups and downs, twists and turns that at some point they get lost and confused. The Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker takes all the guesswork out of tracking symptoms with a simple monthly questionnaire. Once a month is the perfect interval to see if that new supplement or protocol is working. Right now, when you take the Symptom Tracker questionnaire, we give you a simple composite score for the month. But we have big plans and the data you enter will not be lost as we roll out new features. Best of all, it's free. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker and sign up. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker. You'll be glad you did. Hello, I'm your host and acupuncturist, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 159 with Lime Ninja, Susan Luschas. Also, welcome our show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio, Aurora.
3: Hello, and in this episode, you will learn how the first step to health for Susan was changing her diet, how treating parasites was key in regaining health, and how spirituality helped keep her and her kids grounded while they were sick.
1: Thanks, Aurora. As you Lime Ninjas know, every journey through the disease is different and cookie cutter approaches just don't work. You need to fight Lyme like a ninja. And that's why each week we bring you guests who know their stuff to help you along your Lyme journey.
3: Lyme has become a worldwide disease. We have listeners tuning in from Calgary in Canada to Tel Aviv in Israel, and from Perth, Australia to London in the UK. That's
1: amazing, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. And also, each week... We compile a list of the cities and towns with the most listens. So, if you want to make this list, gather your friends and family and binge listen to all 159 episodes <laughs> of Lime Ninja Radio. I can't Radio. believe we've made
3: 159. It episodes. It is
1: kind of incredible. Yeah. But seriously, if you get your friends and family together and have a bunch of listens, especially so- multiplied by 159, you'll make the list. <laughs> All right, we're going to start us off with number 10.
3: Number 10 is Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania.
1: Number 9, Hamlin Terrace, Australia. Way to go, Hamlin Terrace.
3: Number 8, San Francisco, California.
1: Number 7, Pine Rivers, Minnesota.
3: Number 6, Cricklewood, UK. woo
1: Number 5, <laughs> Mill Valley, California.
3: Number 4, Ashburn, Virginia.
1: Number 3, Westminster, Maryland. And as an interesting note, in high school, I attended a band camp. In Westminster College, I they've was going to ask. They've since changed their name. I forget what they've changed the name of the college to, but that's that wasn't too far away from where I was living in Annapolis at the time. Anyway, yeah, we digress.
3: <laughs> number two, Portland, Oregon,
1: and number one, Nashville, Tennessee. Tennessee. Good job, Nashville. All right, Edward, tell us a little bit more about today's guest, Susan Loosechovs. Lushchef.
3: Susan Loosechov's PhD is an MIT-trained scientist and engineer. Her eldest daughter was bitten by a tick. They went to a doctor who told them because it had been embedded for less than 24 hours, she didn't have Lyme disease. She tried helping her daughter heal from her disparate system symptoms of gastrointestinal issues, autism, methylation, and heavy metal toxicity. They finally got a Lyme disease diagnosis when her daughter was six. Then her family and home got infested with lice and then her entire family got sick with Lyme. She started researching and taking control of her family's health, and now she and her entire family are in Radiant Health. In 2016, she took the knowledge she had to help her family achieve wellness and published it on her website, DebugYourHealth.com.
1: Thanks, Aurora, and here's our interview with Susan Luschas. <music> Now we have to talk about your background because I have a very soft spot in my heart for engineers who get interested in health. I think you guys are the bomb.
2: <laughs> oh well, I don't know about that. We think we think about it a little differently.
1: <laughs> a lot differently. A lot differently. So tell me, what was your thesis in, your PhD in? Uh
2: so I actually did a bachelor's, a master's, and a Ph.D. at MIT, and my uh, train, or my degrees are in electrical engineering. And within electrical engineering, I also did lots of communication theory and some physics. Um, and uh, my primary <laughs> topics were in analog and RF circuit design and systems.
1: Old school analog, huh? Um.
2: Well, actually, actually, new school. It's just
1: really what's what's um, old is new really again.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, all the cellular and Wi-Fi and stuff—that's actually really all analog. It still, um, it
1: still is, it, isn't the, it?
2: The, the quote-unquote important parts, in my opinion.
1: I'm biased, <laughs> but, um. You know, as that's the great. speeds
2: increase, as the speeds increase, you have no signal left, so you got to try and find signal when there's tons of noise and things like that. Interesting. But anyway, now, now I work on somewhat similar topics in physics and energy Mm -hmm. and clean tech.
1: Oh, very cool. Now, so that's your background. You know, you're humming along in your career and we'll get into details later, but you, you and your family have some health challenges. And you go through the normal medical channels, I assume, and don't get the help or the results that you want. So you begin to explore and teach yourself and learn for yourself. Now, in in the in the biggest possible global sense, what what did you find moving from this engineer background to the medical health? Field? Did you feel that like us medical people are missing the boat some way in the way we're thinking? Is it, you know what I'm saying? Or did you just kind Uh, of dive right in?
2: So I didn't, let me back up and clarify a few points of the story first. Sure. Or of the situation rather, not uh, situation that happened is that we, I took, I was raised to go to the doctor and do what the doctor says and you're going to get better. And that's what I believed. And we took my oldest child, thank God, you know, she got Lyme first and really her health declined, but I was still healthy and the rest of my family was still healthy at that point. Um, And so I took her around to all these doctors and I didn't care if they were Eastern or Western or alternative or not. I didn't care. I just, I just wanted a solution so I could get back to work. I'm busy at work and, uh, and get her healthy so that, you know, she could go to school again and I could go back to work and not have to tr- cart around all these doctors. And I didn't care what it was. We went to top GI specialists from Stanford and, you know, multiple pedi, she's got like, she's been to like probably about 10 pediatricians. I mean, <clears throat> we went everywhere. And at, the, and at the end, what happened was we spent a lot of money and she was sicker. So, we didn't get anywhere, and we did everything they said. We hospitalized her, we looked at this, that, and the other, and it just didn't, we didn't get anywhere. So, it basically became okay, we had two choices. We could institutionalize her and go back to work, or I could try because we had exhausted pretty much everything else we could think of. And uh, I just, I didn't really want to do this. It just, said okay well I don't really want to institutionalize my child so let me give it a try and it wasn't that I thought the doctors were wrong or anything like that I did notice that I had some ideas going along just being an engineer and scientist and problem solver well you know I noticed this so what if we try this or what if you no, that's gonna kill her no that's if you take fruit and grains out of her diet she's gonna die you know literally, literally those were some of the responses I got and
1: and so um, what did you what did you think when you heard that because obviously you got this idea from somewhere and it seemed to make some sense and so you bring it up and then they say oh no that's gonna kill her and what's your right. response
2: well, well I just said I just said okay then what's the, what can we what else can we do then what else can we do because we'd already done everything
1: right and there okay, resp- what
2: what's your idea and their response was silent yeah and in fact the 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 the, uh, the pediatrician who told me that I was, the child was going to die if I took her off of fruit and rice um, told me years later, like, thank God I did that. Now she tells her Lyme patients to do that. <laughs> so, so, you know, thank God that person was, you know, willing to yeah, that be at is- least a little open-minded enough to learn from it. But back then um, when we were going through this, I just kind of had to go out on my own and we just kind of hunkered down as a family and, um, and had to do what we had to do or give it a good old try. Um, with the doctor part of it, one thing I did do, um, to kind or with the diet, I'm sorry, part of it is I did go to energetic testing, which we had done all along various versions of Zyto and Bioset and Syrah, which is now Quest 4 and all those things. And I did kind of confirm it with the machine. <laughs> mm-hmm. What does the machine think about, you know, this food or that food? And in fact, the machine said, um, you don't even you take out fruit, take out grains, and take out beans and corn. So the machine even said, got to go further. And that kind of gave me at least everyone says these machines don't work. But maybe, you know, I, I personally think they do work at some things, but it kind of gave me at least someone voting for me at least there was a machine voting for it <laughs> um so uh anyways um so,
1: yeah, I did- so let's pause there for a second because your background kind of overlaps with something like zyto and these electronic uh resonance frequency uh diagnostic and treatment tools so what do you think is going on there do you think they work as they claim that they work or do you think there's something else going oh, I- on
2: my personal opinion, which mm-hmm. I have no real science to back this up other than my family's experience with it, is that these things work. We just don't understand how. Okay. And even the practitioners don't understand how. So when I, even when I do these things, um, I take the results myself and process them myself because I think I have a lot of experience and I, have, I think I have a better understanding of how these things actually work and what you can believe and what you can't. Do I think they put out erroneous results sometimes? Absolutely. But do I think they're spot on sometimes? Absolutely. So I have a whole tab on the website if you go look, and I kind of try to detail it out into topics and what topics I think it's good at and what topics I think it's not so good at.
1: And how did you sort out the, the noise from the good results?
2: So uh, basically four years of trial and error on a family of four. (laughs)
0: So
2: I make my whole family. I mean, my husband does it. My two kids do it. I do it and literally trial and error on a family of four.
1: You know, that's my family says the same thing before I try anything out on my patients. My poor family gets to try the remedy. It's, uh,
0: exactly.
1: <laughs> so, trial and error and experimentation actually have a long history in science and medicine, and it's particularly out in the fringes, kind of the backyard doctor or the backyard scientist. And then all of a sudden, all that stuff got put into multi million dollar labs. And when you have a multi million dollar lab and lots of overhead, you don't have as much freedom to explore and try new things.
2: Right right yeah it's true and in fact i was actually at the sbi not to diverge the topic i was at the SBIR road tour a couple weeks back with the government fund. it's uh, small business innovation research uh, okay. so looking at small business funding from the government from all the government agencies from the doe and dod to nsf and nih and mm-hmm. hhs and all of those funding agencies and um, if you look at what grants they're giving out to small businesses, at least, um, I just I I get kind of sick to my stomach when I look at the topics. I just I'm like, we're not working on the right things, and they're putting a lot of money into cancer right now. And I I just look at the topics and I go, I don't think any of these are really barking up the right tree. I think we need some new ideas and fresh topics in here. Of course, I, the question is, are people submitting those topics and just not getting the funding? That part I don't know. But I was surprised, was surprised to see
1: that. I was just at a Lyme conference in, at Mount Sinai in New York City, and they had a few researchers there who were getting funded by the Cohn foundation and Mrs. Cohn had Lyme disease, so she has a particular soft spot in her heart, and it 's a multimillion dollar foundation and and they 're funding some some fundamental research there. And one of the researchers was kind of making a pitch for funding in general and saying that the funding for Lyme disease had gone up a few years in a row and then in the past two years has gone down. And he says when funding from a federal agency goes down, they tend to fund the same old, same old. They don't want to do anything out of the ordinary because they have to defend. Yeah, It's not like venture capital where you know that you're going to fail 10 times out of uh, I'm sorry yeah 10 times out of uh uh or 9 times out of 10 that's what I'm trying to say or 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 something like that where you know when you do get it right you're going to hit it out of the park and that makes up for all the other failures so there's very little room for failure there and i think it was peter drucker who's a uh, business consultant and writer talked about paving the cow paths and i think that's so much what research that we have and what you're experiencing there is they're just it's the same old research with a slight different twist on it or a little better technology gone into it but it's really covering the same ground over and over and over again and very little new does come out of that and that's but that's the history of innovation you know it it comes from places unexpected like an mit trained phd with a sick family trying lots of different things. Right. So your daughter gets Lyme disease and then what happens with the rest of your family? How do you guys all come down with this?
2: Well, we didn't know she had Lyme until she was recovered.
1: Ah, uh, no kidding.
2: So I we recovered her or I recovered her basically. Mm-hmm. My husband and I recovered her. And we still didn't know exactly what it was. We knew there was heavy metal toxicity. We knew there was GI problems. We knew all these things, but we didn't really know the line piece. And she was pretty much healthy. Our, in fact, our pediatrician uh, couldn't believe it, or pediatricians couldn't believe it. And we did know. I was still looking at blood work. I mean, yes, I had my you know, four and five year olds get three, three to five year olds getting blood draws and all this, and. Her her white blood cell count was still a little bit low, although she was, in my opinion, you know, ninety to ninety five percent recovered, as far <laughs> as I could tell. And the pediatrician said, one of them said, "Well, why don't we just do another blood panel of everything and see if we can find any any other infection or something that her body's fighting?" Then finally, she came up positive on Lyme on the standard Western blot. Uh, finally, finally we finally, had tested yeah. that. before. Yes. Yeah, so finally, her body was producing antibodies to it that they could find right. in the blood test.
1: Exactly. So she
2: was testing positive for two of the three IgM bands, which is a positive diagnosis. We got the letter from the CDC saying she's a CDC-reported case. And then I decided, well, diet has done so much for her. That's been a huge stepping point, step forward for her. Of course, there's been other steps we had to take, too, but that was a huge one. So mm-hmm. then I fasted her for 30 days and fasted uh. with her. Yes. At age uh, at age five. Not an
1: easy thing to do.
2: Yeah. For a little kid, huh? For 30, thirty days, and we did do um, some uh, bone broth and salt and things like that. We watched all that minerals and things like that, mm-hmm. hydration. Anyway, um, and then after the thirty days, I retested, and then she showed up positive on every single band.
0: Interesting. Um,
2: for, yeah. So that was that was great, and she was actually clinically the. You know better than ever after those thirty days. After right around that time, when we found out that she finally tested positive on the first two of three IgM bands of Lyme, mm-hmm. we had a head lice infestation in our family, and I'd never had head lice before. I didn't know anything about oh, it. And by my. the time we found it, by the time we found it, we had it big time. I mean, uh, we all had babies and tons of lice everywhere. Yeah, and the lice. Spread the lime to the rest of us. So yep. six months after the head lice, the other three of us went down: my husband, myself, and the little child. Now, luckily, the older one had suffered for years, so we knew where to look
1: and where to start. And we
2: knew and where we had a better idea where to start. We knew what had worked for her. Of course, we were already on the diet, so we didn't go down as far as uh-huh. she did because our family all eats the same food, so we didn't have we weren't as sick as she was. Hmm. Thank goodness. And Mm -hmm. my husband and I had extra pieces to deal with, like dental infections that the children did not have. And uh, things like parasites. Um, My big thing was liver fluke. Uh, That was a big one for me. Uh, Where do you think you picked those up? I think I've had them for years. Yeah. Um, I think I... I think I maybe even got him in utero. I think I got uh, them really? in utero to both my children because, I, interestingly, my husband did not really have liver flu. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, well, we live in the same house and we've been married for you know twelve years. Well, why doesn't he have liver flu? <laughs> so I, I think um, maybe I got him in utero or maybe eating something. Yeah. Um,
1: I mean, along they're just the way. yeah, they're just out there. On. Yeah. I thought maybe you know you traveled someplace exotic and you know went swimming in a waterfall somewhere and had a great story.
2: <laughs> no, I'm a I'm a I'm a through and through American. I never really traveled much,
0: right, uh-huh.
2: um, at all.
1: And that's an important point too, because we tend to think of that sort of thing. And some of these parasites says, "Oh, you're you know you get them when you travel, but they're around here just as much." Yeah.
2: And we're not treating them.
1: No, we're not even looking for them. How can we, you know, so. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to go back again to your oldest daughter Mm -hmm. because this, there always seems to be a point in the Lyme recovery journey where the, the light, there's a little light at the end of the tunnel. It's like, what, when, what was that point for you and your daughter? Like, when did you think, like, okay, we finally got a foothold somewhere? We may not know exactly what's going on, but she's starting to get better.
2: It was definitely the diet. Hmm. Um, that was our her biggest step was the change in diet. And you have to understand that our family were kind of California hippies. Mm-hmm. So we always ate really well and grew a lot of our own things, uh, produce and things. And we're the family that never ate the birthday cake at the birthday party. That was always our family, you know, <laughs> but we did eat, but we did eat fruit. <clears throat> I did like rice. So we did eat rice,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, at grains, organic, you know, we eat organic out here and, but we still did eat fruit, things like fruit and grains, but we were never really had dessert around or anything like that. But it turned out that was actually enough sugar. Um, for her that that had to go in the diet. And once we got rid of the fruit and all the grains and beans and corn and all of that, she actually went fully autistic. She got a lot worse. My husband was freaked out. He's like, oh, my gosh, we better give her some rice and fruit. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, we're not going to because sometimes you have to get better before you get worse. And I sent him all these articles about that. uh uh-huh so he, you know, he kind of wasn't happy, but kind of kept his mouth shut. And then sure enough, a couple of days later, she came out of the hardcore autism stuff and she was significantly better. Um, it was kind of unbelievable. So that was her biggest step forward. Now, of course, she also had to do the methylation. She's had to do the chelation. She's had to do the drainage and detox stuff. Lyme took out her ability to sweat. So we, you know, we really struggled to get her to sweat again. Yeah. Um, things like that. And the other thing that definitely was a step forward that she had to do with parasites. And that took us, she actually recovered without really doing parasites. Now we thought we were doing parasites, but, you know, we'd take some herbal thing and, um, or whatever, and we uh, you know, we didn't really notice too much with that. Mm-hmm. And so she actually recovered without us really properly addressing the parasites. And we didn't figure that out until about a year. Or I guess about nine months after she was finally diagnosed with Lyme, she had a skin thing on her forearm. It was like a horseshoe mm-hmm. on her forearm that would come up around the full moon every month.
1: That's so and, strange.
2: And the horseshoe was like made of red dots. So it was like a dotted <laughs> horseshoe yeah, that yeah. would come on her forearm around the full moon. And of course, I actually, it was one of the pediatricians that suggested, well, like it comes about every month, but I didn't kind of correlate the moon thing. And then she said, well, is it around the full moon? I said, well, I don't know. Let me track it. Sure enough, it was. So then we knew it was some kind of probably parasite, but we had tried everything. Again, we had tried everything and we had sent oh, I have a whole binder of stool tests for parasites that are negative and we had tried everything. And so we, we had, uh Again, we were desperate, and I didn't know enough to what to do next. The only thing I luckily found out was that Simon U in St. Louis was treating parasites and was supposedly very knowledgeable about them. And so mm-hmm. we went, and we flew to St. Louis, and he helped. He helped get us started on that. So that that was fantastic that he's around and that he's doing that.
1: So what was the treatment that got these parasites out? Because, like you said, you tried a lot of different herbal treatments and. Antibiotic right. treatments so, and
2: so Simon um, Simon prescribes parasite medications RX in this country RX parasite medications. I was lucky 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 enough to understand or to have read enough to understand that you probably want to do some enemas with those. Hmm. And, and I had asked Simon about it, and he said, oh, that doesn't matter, and you can't do enema on the three-year-old anyway, because at that point, my little one was three, and I knew if, I knew that if the older one had parasites, probably the whole family had parasites, and in fact, a younger one, the three-year-old at that time, she had a very distended belly. I have pictures of her belly on my website, and she ate more than my husband and just could not stay full. Yes. So... So that was the three-year-old. So I knew the three-year-old needed to be treated as well. But who does an enema on a three-year-old? Well, it turns out I did. Um, I ended up doing it after you know. Again, no one supported me. No, one, everyone's like, "You're crazy. You're going to rupture her bowel and all these things." Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it went it went um, fantastically. I was so glad I did the enema on the first enema. The little child, the three-year-old, put out a baseball-sized tapeworm, yeah. and in fact, she she even vocalized to me. She and she just turned four years old at this point, just turned four. And she said, mama, we need to do more enemas.
0: Really? And
2: yeah. And I said, why? And she said, because the worm just came out of my brain. That's what she told me. And I said, oh, that's interesting. And she stood up from the toilet because we were in the bathroom when she was telling me this. she stood up from the toilet and I saw the worm and I called my husband because I literally had to lie down on the floor um, because I got so spoofed out. I never seen a tapeworm in my life. Um, so the enemas were huge for us, huh. and thank God I did those before I did any of Simon's medications. So we got a lot of worms out whole before the medications.
1: Now like was, said, we went- was this an, sorry was, to get graphic here and, and very curious. These herbal enemas—is it just saline? What are you? What are, what were you this, using? This
2: salt was just- just the sweet enema from the drugstore basically yeah. okay. that's it i didn't i did i'm like i'm not going to buy any enema equipment mm-hmm. until i even know if this is something that's useful number 1 and number 2 that our family wants to do um that it's worth my time and energy to do it because when you have two little kids doing an enema that's actually a lot of work cuz you got to
1: i can't I, even I imagine <laughs>
2: Yeah, I had a three-year-old and a six-year-old at that time, and just getting the two of them in the bathroom, explaining to them, you know, putting a towel down on the floor, cleaning up all the bath mats and all that, getting the place sort of sanitary and sterilized, getting them to lie down. I ended up bribing them with a movie that worked really well because we don't watch TV here, so (laughs) that was like a super, uber treat. Okay, which movie? I don't even. I, we were actually. It wasn't even a movie. It was Little House on the Prairie,
1: hey. <laughs>
2: old TV series. Because I knew that that was kind of wholesome and yeah. something you can learn lessons from. And I thought this would be a win-win. They get to watch something which is super special from that. But That's then,
1: amazing. You're amazing.
2: Watch something quality. So they were watching Little House, and as soon as the little they would start to cry or scream, the movie, the TV show, the movie went off.
0: Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that
2: worked. That worked out really well. Okay. So they, you know, the little one screamed at the beginning, and then turned the movie off. And I said, "Okay, we're going to wait until you calm down, then we'll try again." Movie on, and then the enema in. You know, so that actually worked out beautifully wow. for us. And that's genius. Um, I don't know about genius, but yeah, it's a lot it of is. work to do yeah. the enema with the two girls, and it was it was, it was also not easy because there was. Really, very little information out there about it. I had no practitioners supporting me on it. Simon, you didn't even support me on it. Mm-hmm. Everyone said I was crazy to do that. And I think Carrie Riviera at the time was the only one talking about doing enemas on young children. And her son was older when she did her first one, I believe. And she had a video about about this and how you know how to do it and stuff. But yeah. I found her system to be really cumbersome, so I ended up doing it ended up in the end doing it differently but the enemas were huge and thank goodness we did them before we did Simon's prescription medications then we did the prescription medications and then we started seeing liver flukes come out first of all we never saw flukes coming out with enemas mm-hmm. so it wasn't until we took the medications that we saw the flukes and then we got really sick I mean I got really sick from the fluke medication I can't even tell you how horrible it was but I pushed through, and thank goodness I did. I was so felt so much better after I finished the fluke medication. I kept saying, "I haven't felt this good in 20 years." Yeah. And and my husband, the same thing, but not for flukes for worm. He got really hit hard by the worm medication. Then we started seeing all these pieces of worms coming out of the children and of my husband. We did see the youngest child um, coughed up a worm, and I'm not so sure you can't get that out with an enema, for example. And the oldest child peed out a worm, mm. which again, I'm not sure you can get that out with an enema. Yeah, no So way. I'm glad we went to the systemic, um, RX medications. Um, and then from there, to be honest with you, you know, I, we went to Simon a couple of times and then I decided, okay, I need to take this over myself. Um, and so that's what I that's what I did from there. So Simon kind of got us started, and then and then I took over that piece of it.
1: Are there any home quote unquote home remedies remedies you don't need a prescription for to address worms and flukes and all this, or do you really need to go to a doctor?
2: Um, enemas. So I, we like I said, we got a lot of worms out with enemas, and hmm. I think maybe for some people that maybe haven't had them as long as we have, or. you know enemas might be enough to get them to feeling a lot better and i don't i've done we've done all kinds of enemas we put literally everything into an enema over the years and you know i think the fleet enema salt water or water saline water is just as good as anything else i don't notice a big difference with coffee or any of the other popular enemas just go get a fleet enema they're real cheap at the drugstore give it a try see what comes out the optimal time to do it is, in my opinion, is starting a week before the full moon up to a, up to the full moon. So that would be the optimal time to try to catch them in, in the digestive tract and flush them out. And oh. I think that's a, that may be enough for a lot of people. I personally don't think you'll get flukes that way. I, I just haven't been able to get any flukes um, without medications. That's just been my experience.
1: I have so many questions. I'm going to try. So, where, since you're a bit of an ex- expert on this now, where, where do these parasites come from? Like, how do we get them? Are they in oh, the. Oh, they're every- everywhere. They're
2: okay. everywhere. So, I mean, we don't, in America, we don't deworm our dogs. I mean, there are dogs everywhere. I mean, in parks, in schoolyards, in you know in your front yard they're everywhere and they're pooping and the owners try to clean up the poop best they can if you're lucky <laughs> and you know the the poop is full of worms and eggs and larvae and all kinds of things okay um so so one we number one we don't deworm our dog or our, or a cat for that matter we live with them and whatnot and they pick it up from you know sticking their nose and other dogs and and go into the park and everything like that. The kids are constantly picking them up at school. Um, cause no one deworms their kids. So my kids go to a public school with 700 kids and, you know, they, they still have to do, um, you know, we still do enemas. We still have to do a round of parasite medications, you know, a couple times a year, just because they're constantly picking them back up at school. They spread worms spread really, really easily. Mm-hmm. Personally, my opinion with, loop is that you're more likely, they're harder to pick up from the park, from you know swinging or sitting in the grass at the park. Mm-hmm. Those you usually pick up more from food that you're eating or fish or uh, undercooked meat. I know that we buy our, our uh, meat directly from farmers and the far- I've talked to some of the farmers and sometimes they, for instance, can't sell the livers because they were so full of flukes. Um, and so those are, you know, cattle ranches and things like that. But if there were flukes in their liver, it's, you know, my experience is flukes can actually go systemic as well and be in other places. So, um,
1: now we'll, I know freezing will kill off bacteria. If you freeze, uh, meat or fish, anything like that for about 14 days, almost all the bacteria is killed off except for cyst form Lyme disease and things like that. Do flukes survive freezing?
2: It's a good question. I don't actually, I don't know the answer to that. (laughs) I really don't.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't know if if anybody knows. And I
2: would love to see a study on that. Study that. Right. <laughs> we've I got. would love to know.
1: We butcher our own cattle, and we've got uh, a freezer full. And this time, I, I had the liver ground up and added in, in bits to the the ground beef. We have some packages that are part liver because I wanted to get that nutrition in there. And I'm thinking, hmm, I wonder if I just uh, spread flukes all over the place. And we, we think, so we, you know, we know there's a, a, a biome, right? A bacterial biome in the gut. We know that there's also with that, uh, a, a, microbiome, right? a mycobiome, right? A fungi biome. But what you're saying also is that there's this parasitic part of the biome that we're just, we're just blind to. And we, some people, you know, we all got the notices from our vets saying it's time to deworm your dog or, and definitely don't get that for cats. But the idea that we need to do that for ourselves too, and and you now see people, you consult with people who are having intractable uh, health problems, and is what you see a big part of their health problems is that they do have these parasites?
2: Let me go back to the I consult. <laughs> okay, I don't, I don't really. So I can take that out of the.
1: We can take that out. I saw that somewhere. That's okay.
2: and, No, it's okay, but let me at least explain it, and you can decide if you want to keep it in or not. Um, So the purpose of my website and me coming forth with my story was to save other people from the headaches and hassle of what we went through, and we spent a lot of money and a lot of time and wasted years of our daughter's lives had we known what we know now, you know, we could have saved a lot of time and money. And that was the purpose of me setting up the website. It really is a charity. I don't make any money off of it. Um, all the money that people donate to the site stays to the site. It pays for things like the web hosting, the lawsuits, <laughs> um, you know, all of the things that go around the, keeping the site up. For people and suing you? Then the, yeah, The extra money, any extra money for now is just sitting there in the the website bank account. The website has its own bank account. It's sitting there in the website bank account. And my hope is that someday there will be some obvious research project or a little study or something that maybe the website can do independently. Because it'll be all donated money from people who like the site and wanted to keep it up. And, you know, money that's not tied to big pharma or (laughs) government funding. And maybe we can do some of our own studies. So that's the long-term thing if there's enough financing, basically. Now, the consulting part came because people kept emailing with questions. And as they would email, I would update the content. The content is constantly being updated, not constantly, every couple weeks Mm -hmm. um, I go through the emails and I update whatever questions people have. And, it, and the content has really gotten a lot better since the site went up because people are asking all these good questions. But there were some people who were really desperate and really I couldn't answer their questions without seeing them and testing them in person and, and all of that. And, you know, I could do that full-time for free. And it's not really what I want to do with my life. I'm not a patient person, <laughs> I'm very impatient, I like science and technology, I like hard intractable problems. So, you know, kind of seeing people as a practitioner is not really in my personality and not really in what I necessarily want to do. On the other hand, I understand the depth of difficulty that people go through when they've gone to all the doctors and they haven't gotten better and their children are suffering. And I I do understand that problem very well. So I decided to set up this health coaching option that if people dig deep enough on my website, this is not something that's advertised. I don't have any pop-ups on the website. You have to dig deep to be able to find that information. But if people find it um, and they write in and ask for help, then sometimes I can maybe um, health coach or consult with them. And unfortunately, I don't have time to take everyone. And so I I detail there what I'm looking for, the kind of people that I think I might be able to help. I generally do not see people more than once or twice. I don't, I like them to, you know, this is debug your health is debug your health. You can debug your health better than I can. Mm. You know, I can maybe help get you started and point you in the right direction, maybe give you some tools that you can use. Um, But that's just, how I work, because otherwise I'd become a practitioner and see people all the time. So hopefully that makes some level of sense. Um, And I do also send people elsewhere if I think their situation might be, there might be a practitioner like Simon Yu, for example, or someone else.